Hey church, in the month of July, we are launching what we're calling SendServe, and it's gonna be happening this entire month. Um, really what SendServe is about is this. As a church, we are passionate about reaching people with the gospel right here in our community, and we want to multiply those efforts all the time. And so uh, you have probably heard that this coming fall, we're actually launching a new campus in the Adairsville area, and that really is part of the heart of SendServe. What we're gonna be asking is for people who are interested in going to be a part of that new work in Adairsville, um, we wanna call you to be sent to go and do that. And then for others though, here at Cartersville, um, we know that the people who are leaving is gonna lead, uh, lead of a, a big void here for us. And so what we're gonna call is for you to step up and serve and be a part of the ministry that God is doing here. Um, really at the heart of Send Serve is this, that our church is a sending church. We're sending people out to Adairsville, but by even people stepping up and, and serving here in Cartersville, you can be a part of helping accomplish the mission that God has for us. So I want to encourage you to be a part of this this month. It's very easy to sign up and be a part. You can go online to our app. You can go online to the website and find all the information you need there. Join a team and a ministry leader will be in contact with you. Um, we are excited to see how God is going to use um, all of you that are going to be a part of this to accomplish the mission that He has for us right here in Bartow County. So thank you for jumping in and being a part of SendServe this summer. Does everybody sit on one of these? Hope so. If you didn't reach in the seat next to you, I want you to go ahead and take that. You know, we, we are so blessed to be a part of a church that's ascending church. We're so blessed to be a part of a generous church where we have the capacity to launch a second campus. God has given us a tremendous, tremendous amount of favor in doing that. And I, I strongly want to encourage every one of you, like, like Pastor Zach and, and Pastor James, is that if you're not connected already serving in ministry here, we want to encourage you to do that. Because it is our goal that everyone who calls Cross Point home engages the mission. Because the mission is, is too valuable for anyone to be on the sideline. We need everyone engaged serving. And so I'd encourage you to read that, take note of that, and just uh, jump in and do what it says. It's going to be awesome. So with that said, um, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. <clears throat> last week, Zach did an incredible job looking at Genesis chapter 32. Uh, covered the first 21 verses. Um, it, it was amazing. And today we're going to pick up with verse 22 and look at probably what's a familiar passage to some of us, at least in title only, um, Jacob wrestling with God. And so up front, I want to say, as I was preparing for this message, that majority of what I'm going to say is really geared for the believer. Uh, so I'm going to say some things that's really specific for believers. However, if you're here this morning and you haven't put your faith in Jesus and you're actually wrestling with that, it's okay because I'm also going to say some things that hopefully will inspire and encourage you to be led by the Spirit today to put your faith in Jesus. And so as I was preparing for this message, um, the theme wrestling just struck a chord with me because uh, growing up, that's what I did. I was a wrestler. Um, I was a wrestler in school and I, I can't really remember a day that I didn't wrestle as a young man. And I had two younger brothers. Um, first one is about three and a half years younger than me. The second one is about six and a half years younger. And so being the older brother in our household, I had a responsibility to torture, I mean, I mean teach, to, to teach my brother's life skills through wrestling, right? And so I'll never forget, you know, my mother and father, we, we must have drove them crazy because we wrestled in every single room in the house. 
I mean, we just destroyed the house. And when we got together, it was chaos. And I remember moments, you know, teaching valuable life skills like, how do you get out of a chokehold? They didn't think it was so valuable, but I did, you know, and I remember moments like sneaking up behind my brothers, and I would grab and squeeze and just wait for them to scream for mom, and then when they did, I would let them go and be like, what? I didn't do anything. Mom, they're lying, and so, and and this was on and on in our household. It was such an amazing time, and that was fresh on my mind because I've spent the week with my two brothers getting beat up um, because they're twice my size now, and so I'm doing the screaming, Jory, my wife, please help me, and so... I say all of that um, not because our passage is, is that trivial, but because the wrestling we're going to look at this morning has far more spiritual significance. And so let's, let's, let's dive in and get to work. Genesis 32, uh, beginning with um, verse 22. It should be on the screen. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And so I want to focus on this right quick. Jacob was alone with God. And that may not seem very significant to us right now, but as we unpack it, I think we'll see the significance and we'll also see the application to us. In order for us to fully understand why this has taken place, we need to go back and do a little history lesson about who this dude was. Who was Jacob, and what kind of character did he have? And if you've missed any of the series of Genesis, I would encourage you, go back and watch. Pastor James has done an amazing job unpacking Genesis for us. So in Genesis 25, what we find out is is Jacob's parents, um, Isaac and Rebekah, Rebekah was barren. They, they were promised to have children but couldn't have children uh, because Rebekah was barren. And this was kind of a theme we see beginning with Abraham, which would be Jacob's grandfather, um, and Sarah being barren. And we, what we see is that God had made promises to these men and their families that they would have children and that their children and their families would outnumber the stars in the sky. And so it's impossible to to do that if you can't have children. And so what God does is he divinely intervenes and, and makes these ladies fertile. And so we see children born by God's power and divine intervention. And that's important, but so that no man can take glory or steal from God. I mean, it was God's working. When God makes a promise, he keeps a promise. And so what we see early part is, is God opens up Rebekah's womb and she has and conceives twins, Esau and Jacob. And the Bible talks, describes those boys actually wrestling in their mother's womb. And when it comes time for them to be born, Esau is born first and Jacob comes out clinging to his heel. He's a heel grabber. And so right away I notice, you know, he likes and prefers a single leg takedown. I'm a double leg guy. I'm a double leg, but he's the single leg takedown of his brother right off the bat. So what we see is Jacob comes into this world wrestling. I mean, by nature, that's the kind of guy he is. And as these young men, uh, Esau and Jacob, these brothers grew up together, we see they're very different. They're fraternal twins. We see that Esau is kind of hairy and burly, and Jacob's kind of smooth and not so much burly. And, And they're very different in their personalities and their likes and what they do. 
And so as they grow, I can imagine, this isn't necessarily in Scripture, but I can imagine having brothers that, man, this was good times. Like they would fight and wrestle and, and tussle and all of that. And Jacob uh, was probably, as we've learned, more scheming and methodical and, and deceiving. And Esau was probably more barbaric because that's kind of how his nature was. And it was probably, you know, cat and mouse. And they played. But the problem with Jacob is he had this desire in him from birth to seek blessings not only from God, but from other people. And we'll see that play out a little, a little bit in a moment. And so later, as they grew up a little bit, we see a moment in Scripture, uh, I think it is in the end of verse, uh, chapter 25 of Genesis, where Esau comes in from being out in the field hunting and all of that, and he said he's starving. I mean, he's starving to death as he describes it. Like, I mean, he's famished. If I don't get some food, I'm going to die. And, and Jacob, what, what is he doing at the moment? He's eating some stew in front of his starving brother. And, and so what happens is, is Esau's like, give me some of that stew. And so Jacob sees upon this moment with his crafty deception and says, okay, I'll give you my stew for your birthright. And so in essence, Esau sells his birthright for a bowl of stew. And so Jacob is scheming. And he's deceiving and, and he's trying to receive blessings that were promised that he didn't have to manipulate for. But he's, he's, he's doing it on his own, his self-sufficiency. And even later, what was more significant about this relationship about, with these two brothers is in, I believe, in chapter 27, um, Jacob schemes with his mother. And this was far more significant. So... It, so um, their father, Isaac, is kind of advanced in age. I mean, he can't see well, and he's kind of, he's kind of laying out and just, just chilling out. And he says, Esau, go get me some of that. You know, go kill a wild game and make some of that good stew, that, that food that you prepare. I'm really hungry. And so Esau leaves to go do that. And, and so Jacob begins this scheming with his mom. And they make some soup or some stew that, that Esau would normally make and kind of go in there and... The Bible describes it that they clothe Jacob with fur because he's smooth and so it would feel like he had hairy arms, you know. And then he wore Esau's clothing so that he would smell like Esau. And so they, they gave Isaac some food and he's sitting there and Isaac asked this question and this is very significant. His earthly father says, who are you? And he's smelling, he's rubbing. And Jacob said, I'm Esau. And as a result, what we see is that Isaac blesses Jacob instead of Esau, a blessing that was reserved for the firstborn. So Jacob literally stole his brother's blessing. And because of that, that fractured their relationship. It was very serious. And, and look, I, I know we fight with siblings, and I, I've been, you know, my dad growing up, when we got to that point of just being intense with each other, he would slip the boxing gloves on us and put us out in the backyard and say, go. And when you're done, you're done. And so this is a moment kind of like one of those, but no boxing gloves. Esau is so mad that he vows to kill his brother Jacob. I'm going to take your life. I'm going to kill you if I catch you. And so what we see here is panic, and, and Jacob has to flee. And so he flees to his uncle's house, Laban. And so he goes to live with Laban, who would eventually become his father-in-law. 
And, and, and what we learn in 31 is that he lived there and served for 20 years. And during that time, God had lavished incredible blessings on Jacob. I mean, he had an incredible family, a bunch of kids, and all kinds of possessions, and servants, and cattle, and all of his camp grew very large, as large or larger and more prosperous than Laban's. And so there was this wrestling going on between these men, and Laban was very much like Jacob. He was kind of conniving and deceiving, and Jacob might have met his match there. And so there was this tension going on between these two camps. And God kind of intervened like he normally does when we do foolish things. And he says, Jacob, you got to go. Go home. And so that's what he does. He, he gathers all of his things. He packs all of his stuff, and they, they move, and they're headed back home. But what we need to remember is who's at home waiting? Esau. Esau's there. And see, what we see and, and what we learned from last week, as Zach did an incredible job, is that Jacob at this point, much like us, is living somewhere between fear and faith. Like we see great moments in him where he is faithful to, to God's promises, and he even speaks God's promises, and we'll see that in just a moment. But there are also moments where he is, this dude is so self-sufficient, stubborn, independent, Proud, arrogant, deceptive, manipulative. And we can relate because we kind of do that. He lives by, you know, there are moments of fear where he's kind of trying to shuffle things to minimize, you know, tension and to maximize prosperity and all of that. And he's got his hands on it. So this wrestling between fear and faith that we see in Jacob's life. And when we get to this moment, what we see here is that he kind of comes to the end of that a little bit. I mean, Zach described it like a runner, and I thought that was a great illustration. A runner running faster than he, he or she should, and they've got those moments of their legs can't keep up with the momentum, and you've got this you know, 20-foot-long trip until they fall down, and then they kind of bounce back up and keep going. That's kind of what it looks like to live between fear and faith. I mean, when we enter into those fear moments, we fall down. But then we pop up by the grace of God and we live by faith. And so that's what we see in Jacob's life. And it's significant because he's standing here. And what we learned last week is that Esau's on his way with 400 men. At this point, we see both. You know, Jacob has divided his camp. He sent, he sent gifts and bribes and he's trying to man, manipulate. And, and he's preparing for Esau and 400 men to come and as Zach told us last week, what we learned from the Scripture is 400 men is the size of a militia. It's an offensive thing. Jacob is coming, and the last words that they had were not very good. Esau told him, I'm going to kill you. And so I can imagine fear is, is gripping Jacob's heart. And if we're honest, that's how we are. Whenever things kind of come along our way, especially troubling and challenging things, we tend to kind of react in fear quite frequently. And we do a lot like Jacob does. We, we act in our own intellect, our own skills and resources. We use things like that to kind of advance our calls. We also rally people around us, like we build our own kind of camp, especially if somebody's opposing us or there's trouble on the horizon. We'll rally the truth and go, I got my homeboys right here. 
Especially if it's like a tag team wrestling match going on. You go get the biggest person that, you know, I've got mm -hmm, my, my middle brother right here. He'll be here in the next gathering. It's like he's a beast of a dude right here. He's got my back. So we, we kind of we manipulate people and we rally for the cause. And, and we also run to a pastor or a mentor or a friend. And we do all of this before turning to God. And so those things aren't bad unless we're using and turning to those first apart from God, the wisdom and truth of God. And so what we see in the text earlier in 32 that Zach covered is in verse 9, it's one of the oldest recorded prayers in the Old Testament. Jacob comes to this moment and calls out to God. And it's absolutely beautiful. He acknowledges God for who he is. And in that prayer, he also acknowledges who he is not who Jacob isn't, and what he does not deserve. And in the prayer, he also speaks God's word. Not because God needed to be reminded of what he said, because he's God. Because essentially, what is in us will come out of us. And so at that moment, when we're squeezed, what's in us will come out. And so as Jacob's being squeezed, what comes out is God's promises. And he's speaking that in prayer. And he's also at a moment all alone before God. It says he was alone. So he's standing before God alone, vulnerable, humble. And so the takeaway for us, I think we need to fully understand, is that in this life, our God loves us unconditionally in this life and the next. God loves us unconditionally. And we cannot earn something that is freely given. Let that sink in. So nothing you can think, say, or do will change the fact that God loves you. He will not love you more or less based on your behavior. Why? Because the scriptures tell us that God is love. His nature, His character, and His person, the very essence of who He is, is love. And so our behavior is irrelevant. God loves us. And the sooner we get that in our thick skulls, the sooner we can live more by faith and less by fear. We also need to understand that as God blessed Jacob, in spite of his behavior, he does the same thing for us. He blesses us no matter what we do. Now, I'm aware that there are blessings in the Scriptures that are conditional. But I'm also aware that there are countless blessings in the Scripture that are not conditional. For example, We're breathing because God allows us to have oxygen in the atmosphere to breathe. It's a gift of His grace and mercy. We don't earn it. There's nothing that we do that, that deserves it. God just gives it. And you can fill in the blank on and on. He provides richly for those who are believers and for those who are not. As the Scripture describes, God causes it to rain on unbelievers and unbelievers. So we, the sooner we get that in our head, the sooner we can live by faith and not fear. And we also need to realize this. When we're, in the, we're, when we're alone, and it's dark, and we're absolutely fearful, we need to realize at the end of the day, you're really not alone. You're not alone, because God promises to never leave us nor forsake us. And He keeps His promises. So at this moment where Jacob is standing alone in the dark on the cusp of going back home, knowing that Esau is coming with 400 men, 
grappling and wrestling between fear and faith, he realizes, I'm not alone. I'm not alone because God is with me. And we need to to cling to that, especially when we get to those desperate, dark moments in our lives. We need to cling to the truth of God's Word that we're not alone. And so there are three things that I want to put forth that I think we see that Jacob did that we need to um, practice in our lives. Number one, a daily discipline of prayer. These are spiritual disciplines, by the way. I don't think Jacob realized that, but number one is prayer. If you don't have prayer daily with the Lord as a believer, I would encourage you to do that. If you wait Sunday after Sunday and you come in, um, you're starving spiritually if you're not connecting with the Lord. Prayer, talking to God, having that intimate time with Him. And the second thing is time in the Word. Scripture, study the Word. See, Jacob was squeezed and what came out of him was the Word. And when we're squeezed, if the Word of God is not in us and we're not obeying, then it's not going to come out of us. And so time studying and, and meditating and, and reading the Word. And also what we see is solitude. Third thing is solitude. We call it quiet time. Being alone with God. Now I mean disconnect, unplug, put the devices down, get away, and let it be silent so that, not, so that you don't only speak to the Lord, but you hear from God. And that's usually done very well in silence. So prayer, time in the Word, and silence. And so let's keep tracking and see what happens when the wrestling starts. All right, the 24B, the back half of this. said, a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And so the second thing we need to see is Jacob is wrestling with God. And even though it doesn't say God, we'll find that out later in the text. He was in a wrestling match for his life. See, think about this. Jacob is at that moment probably thinking Esau and 400 men are coming. And I bet the answer to his prayer, he didn't expect to be in an altercation with a stranger in the middle of the night. In fact, it said all night to the breaking of day. So when we pray, sometimes God answers in ways that we don't expect. And sometimes it's not pleasant. Sometimes there's a little discomfort. And wrestling, and and though I enjoyed it so much growing up, and I still do, um, there are unpleasant moments, especially when pain's involved. And so what we see here is during this wrestling, we know it was so God because there's no man going to touch some man's hip and pop it out of socket. So he cripples Jacob because Jacob is fighting for his life. And so there's this tension, this wrestling going on, and Jacob is wounded, but he's holding on, and he's holding on for dear life. And I want to illustrate this in a New Testament perspective, because it's hard for us to see this and kind of relate, like, because we're probably not going to get any physical fight with God. But let's look at this from a very familiar New Testament text, and I'm going to paraphrase, it's not going to be on the screen, but you'll be familiar with it. It's when Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, to pray. And it's right before he's handed over. And so Jesus in Mark 14, verses 32 through 42, we have this incredible picture of Jesus and his disciples. It's getting dark and they're going into the Garden of Gethsemane. And he takes his disciples and he says, stay here. 
And he takes Peter, James, and John, those that he kind of poured into a little more, he mentored them a little more than the others, and he goes in a little further in to the garden. And he tells these men, and it's incredible what he says, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. So Jesus is broken because he knows the path that he's on and he knows where it's leading. And he's broken for us. He's broken over the condition of humanity. He's broken because he's going to pay a price that we should pay. He's broken and, and over all of this and, and preparing himself for reconciliation between God and man. And so he tells them, wait here, you guys wait here and pray. I'm going to go in a little further, and that's what he does, and he does business with God. In essence, he wrestles with God. Listen to what he, Jesus prays. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. <clears throat> and the scriptures tell us that Jesus did this three times. He prayed this prayer three times. The Son of God to God the Father, the Son of God who is fully God and fully man. It's the man part that's struggling with his destiny, his destination. And so he says, if this, remove this cup from me. As though, like, he, he knows what's coming, but he's still wrestling with that. The humanity is wrestling with the deity. And, and he is being honest with God the Father as he's crying out, if there's any way... If there's any other path for me to take, please remove it. But he humbles himself to the will of the Father and says, Not my will, but what your will be done. And so after three times, what we see, he rises and submits to the will of the Father. And through the wrestling, he comes out and he says to the disciples, Behold, the time is at hand. Basically, my, my betrayer is coming. And what we see at the end of this is that his destiny, his destination, the path that he was on, he would be betrayed by a dear close one that he had poured into. He would be taken into custody, an innocent man. He would be brutally beaten with a, a device that would rip flesh from his body. He would be horribly nailed to a cross, this crazy torturous punishment reserved for the most horrific of criminals. He would be raised between heaven and earth. His blood would pour out for, the, for sin. And the wrath of God would be upon him as judgment for sin. And he would give himself up. He would die in our place. The Bible says he didn't even have a tomb. He would be buried in a borrowed tomb and three days later he would rise. And Jesus is alive today, alive and well, sitting at the right hand of God, inter interceding at this very moment for you and I who are believers. That was his destination. Talk about stressful. So Jacob is in this moment wrestling with God, thinking, you know, hey, I was going to be assaulted or murdered by my brother, and now I'm wrestling for my life. And I was studying this, I was reading through commentaries, and I read an incredible statement by the great reformer John Calvin. And this is what John Calvin said about this moment of wrestling between Jacob and God. He said, this episode is, is an example of our wrestling with the Lord today. When the Father tests us, we may find ourselves struggling with Him, looking for blessing in the midst of our trouble. 
This striving is not blasphemous. Wrestling with God can prove our faith if undertaken in the right spirit. Wrestling with God can prove our faith if taken, undertaken in a right spirit. And so the takeaway for us is really practical. One of the things we need to do is we need to stop treating Christianity as though it's microwavable. As though we can just push a button and we're instantly mature believers. That's not true. Not at all. Not according to the New Testament and the Bible that I read. There's a lot of wrestling and struggling going on. There's this tension between faith and fear that's going to exist until we're in eternity. And wrestling is a part of our way of combating that of dying to the flesh and living to the Spirit. But we need to realize that it's not instant, microwavable. This Christian journey that we're on isn't a sprint, it's a marathon. And so it requires us to run that way. And so what we see is Jacob kind of came to that moment of wrestling and surrendered to that. And so we need to, first of all, just stop wanting and desiring this instant chewed up form of Christianity and we need to pray we need to get in our Bibles on our own and read and study and chew on God's word for ourselves and be handled by God and empowered by God to live faithfully for God and so I think sometimes we depend so much on others for our food so we need to eat our food ourselves another thing we need to do stop and we need to resist this cultural norm of taking the path of least resistance now, this is a big deal. We kind of we want to take the shortcut a lot of times. And a lot of times, especially spiritually, that's not really a good route because God wants to do something in us and handle us. For example, uh, me getting to this place at Cross Point was a three-year journey that I would have never chosen for myself. It was painful. I experienced personal pain, emotional pain, physical pain, and loss all along the way, as God was preparing me to trust less in myself and more in Him. But I would never have chosen that if I were living in the flesh. So it's the same for you as school or relational or whatever it is. As God is leading you, don't be so quick to take the path of least resistance. Lean into the Lord, and if God wants you to take a longer journey, be submissive to it, just like Jesus was to the path to the cross. And also we need to we need to apply those spiritual disciplines to our life. If you are not doing that now, I want to encourage you. Prayer, time in God's Word, solitude, and now, and now, wrestling. Because it's not blasphemous. It actually will prove our faith if we do it in a God-honoring fashion. Jesus did. So we should follow suit. And let's, let's fin with a, finish with a climactic high. Let's keep reading in verse 26. This is amazing. <clears throat> verse 26 says, Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, Listen, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask me my name? And there he blessed him. So we need to see that Jacob is blessed by God. When you wrestle with God, it's not going to come out poorly for you. I promise. 
You might come out a little wounded, as we'll see in a moment. Jacob left with a limp. But you're going to come out blessed because you're in the presence of God himself. And we see that Jacob spent a lifetime trying to earn the blessings from God, trying to earn blessings from people. And now he kind of comes to this place of brutal honesty. Remember the last time when his earthly father asked, what is your name? He said, my name is Esau. And he stole the blessing. This time, his heavenly father says, what is your name? My name is Jacob. In essence, I'm deceitful, I'm manipulative, I'm a liar, I'm sinful, and I'm unworthy to be in your presence. And when he came honestly to God, God said, you're right. But now, you will no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, one who reflects the promise-keeping, transformational power of God. You've been given a new identity And that's what happens to us when we come face to face with Jesus and we surrender our lives. And that's what happens to us when we wrestle with him. We come out blessed. We come out blessed. And so as Jacob wrestled, I think he came to this understanding finally, and we'll see this as we conclude, is that the blessing that he truly was seeking, the real blessing was God himself. Jacob spent a lifetime seeking the blessing of God himself. And now, through this wrestling, he finds him. He finds him. And when he does, he's transformed. He's not the same. He's no longer Jacob, the sinful sinner. But he he comes out and he arises. You're Israel. You have striven with God and with man and have prevailed. You're mine. So it's kind of this redeeming character, this sanctifying moment for Jacob. And so I want to ask, what about you? Have you had that redeeming, sanctifying moment in your life? See, this was so significant. In verse 30, I'm just going to read it for us. That Jacob called the name of the place Peniel saying, for I have seen God face to face and yet my life has been delivered. Have you seen God face to face? Have you just been brutally honest with God about who you really are? Because he knows. Like these questions were rhetorical. God was just stirring in Jacob's heart to be honest. That's what he wants, just us to be honest, to come before him and just be who you are. We sang about that. He loves us exactly where we are, who we are. Because what he wants to do through the finished work of the cross is he wants to transform us into something new, to someone new. He wants to adopt us into his family. Once we were orphans, when we surrender our lives to Christ, we're no longer orphans. We are sons and daughters of God. We're the king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We have a seat at the table with Jesus. So what about you? Now there's some of you who are wrestling with that decision right now. There's some of you who know right this very moment, man, I don't have these spiritual disciplines down pat. 
God loves you. No differently, but he's burdening your heart. Hey, when you leave this place today, would you spend time wrestling with me tomorrow? Would you pray and get into the word? And would you wrestle with me? Because I want, I, I want you to leave blessed. I want to bless you with myself. And as we prepare, prepare for a moment of baptism, we're going to kind of close a little differently. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to observe something beautiful. We're going to observe the reflection and the public proclamation of what happens when we wrestle. What happens when we give our lives to Jesus? What happens when we, he adopts us into his family? What happens when we become sons and daughters of God is that we can celebrate. And so I want to pray, and I really want you to surrender yourself to the Lord. Whatever he's leading you to do, just, just speak to him honestly. Because the true blessing that we seek is God himself. And Jacob began the night fearing Esau, without question. He ended the night realizing that God was the blessing he was seeking. And what really ultimately transformed Jacob from fear of man to trust in God was prolonged wrestling with a God. This went on all night. I was super burdened by this. Can I even spend five minutes with God? Much less all night. So let's pray, and as we respond, we'll prepare for baptism. Father God, thank you so much for meeting us in this place. Thank you for your unconditional, unwavering, unyielding love in our lives. Thank you for your grace and mercy. And most of all, thank you that you demonstrated your love toward us while we were yet sinners. Christ died. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that Jesus wrestled and was obedient. Thank you for the finished work that he accomplished on our behalf so that by faith, through your grace, we can be redeemed and we can become your sons and daughters. And I pray that you'll do business with everyone in this building. Those who need to put their faith in you, would they do it today? Those who need to apply spiritual disciplines, Father, just give them courage and the tools they need to do it. And Father, we thank you for just a testimony of baptism. And as these sons and daughters of yours publicly proclaim the transformation that they experience, help us to celebrate that. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.